For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Use the code word REBEL for a discount on pillows, sheets, pet beds, and everything else at MyPillow.com. Woo, Rebels, it's that time. Can you feel it? Are you ready to be a great parent? Do you want to feel like you're back on your honeymoon? Well, we believe in you and God believes in you. Rebels, it's time to join the rebellion. It's time for Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Hope you're having a great week. Man, do we have a good pod for you today. John Mark Comer is coming on talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry, which is a great podcast to do the week before Thanksgiving. We get so overwhelmed with all the things that are going on that we miss the importance of this season and being grateful and thankful for all that we have. He is a great guest. You're going to love this podcast today. Check out the new website at rebelparenting.org. Click the donate tab while you're there. Help us out in this season of giving. We do all of what we do through your support and we appreciate it so much. Let's dive into it. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. What's happening, Rebels? Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Good morning to anybody watching on Facebook. Good who knows what time it is for those listening to the podcast. Excited for this broadcast today. John Mark Comer is on the podcast. Thanks for being here all the way from Portland. It's earlier where you are, so I appreciate this. Not too early. I got my coffee. We're nice. good. Happy to be with you. Thanks I'm on the second cup, on. so we're, we're more than... <laughs> there more we than go. Right. Good time. Listen, you've got a book. I love it. I like this cover too. I'm super into covers because I publish books. So I'm always yes. like looking for the story behind it. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Mm. I'm just going to throw it out there. When we got this, I was like, mm, I kind of like my hurry. It makes me feel a little more <laughs> like it makes more me feel protected. like I'm doing something. It makes me feel a little more important. It was and, the moment where like an alcoholic has like an uncle say to him, hey, maybe you should think about... I don't know. <laughs> for sure. No idea what you're talking about, for sure. That's great, John. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think a lot of us are addicted to that. Yeah. We get that adrenaline kick, that adrenaline rush. I'm fascinated by your story. So I'd love it if you could just give us a little bit of your background on how you arrived at this place, what your background is. You've got three kids, so it's yep. not like... It's not like you're some single guy, like, oh no, you got to be less busy, and here's how you do it. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. you really do live this on a regular yeah. basis. But your story is much deeper than in that. The city, all yeah, that. yeah. I mean, it's honestly, it's a more and more common trope, you know, of the kind of quarter life crisis kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, quarter you know, life of, crisis. I've yeah. never heard that. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. I like to tell people I had an early midlife crisis of like existential. You know, at 30 years old, what the heck am I doing with my life? Mm. But really, I think that's actually pretty common now, you know, the yeah. midlife crisis thing. Definitely. And so I honestly don't think my story is that unique, you know. Started out, I'm pretty type A, workaholic by nature. Started out like really driving. We church planted when we were in our early 20s. Mm. Church grew wow. crazy fast, which is what you're going for at one level, <laughs> but then turned into yeah. a whole other thing. Had kids really young, you know, we got married really young. It's just kind of, I was that person, like, let's do it. I mean, we yeah. got married before it should be legal. Uh, I was 21. My wife was 19, almost 20. And her parents wanted me to be 21 before we got married. So we got married the first Saturday after my 21st birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Which You're I like, feel like okay. that, says, yeah. that says something about my personality, yep. right? Yep. And, and 
very little good, you know, hurry, impatience, ambition, ego, workaholism, mm. you know, bad boundaries. This was all like in my muscle memory, in kind of who I was and who I had become. So, you know, we get into it and, you know, five years into the church or whatever, it's just a really fascinating experience. I begin to have all sorts of like existential what the heck is happening to me yeah. moments. Mm. One was just like ongoing struggles with mental health might be too strong of a word, but with like pretty bad anxiety and yeah. depression. And then there was just the exhaustion, you know what I mean? Like a workaholic, you can only work that many hours, that many days for so long. Yeah. Third factor was just we're hitting the phone era now at this point and discovering, you know what? <laughs> I was chatting with this guy, Alan Fadley, the other day, and he called the phone the human experiment in omnipresence. And mm. so by then, I'm a few years into attempting to be like God and have infinity in my pocket and be all places at once and not actually be right where I am. My marriage was difficult from the very beginning. We're mm. very different. My wife is incredible, but we're very different personalities, very different families of origins, different ethnic backgrounds. <laughs> and so it just was like, you know, I remember a year into our marriage, we're driving in the car and things were already pretty rough. And this was back in the day of radio. This was pre-iPhone day, and a radio ad comes on for eHarmony.com, which, <laughs> is that still a thing? Is that still huge? I'm so out of touch now. I don't know. I don't but know. It was at the time. I think so. I don't know. I think, it was, I think it was new at the time. It was blowing up. It was a doctor that started it, and I forget his name, but he had this great line in the advertisement. He's like, you know, opposites attract and then they attack, and we're <laughs> driving, and I just quietly reached down and turned off the radio. Awkward silence. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, so all that to say, my marriage was not mm. remotely the relationship that either of us wanted. Mm. Yeah. And spiritually, you know, to add another layer, I felt more and more disconnected from God, not through like some, you know, gross sin that was hiding under the surface, just through honestly, now in hindsight, distraction, my phone, busyness, exhaustion. You know, when you go at that pace, even when you do have a kind of a rule of life or practices or spiritual disciplines built into your life and your muscle memory, as I did, morning prayer, I would never miss a morning, and church and all Mm. that kind of stuff. My view of kind of what it meant to practice the way of Jesus was very limited by my kind of evangelical upbringing that I think handed me a couple of spiritual disciplines and really built them into my life, but did not give me a wide, expansive, historical ecumenical view of things like Sabbath and solitude, some of these other things that now have come into my life and really made a lot of difference. So, but I think just in hindsight, I was just, even when I would actually slow down, my mind was like 90 miles per hour. I was so exhausted. I spent most of the time just trying to like get my brain to calm down, not Mm. actually hearing the of God. And then the major, like underneath all of that, like the biggest problem of all was just, I was not becoming a person of love year over year. Mm. If you chart the telos of the spiritual journey as defined by Jesus, as becoming a person who is compassionate and loving, like our father is compassionate and loving, which in Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' summary statement for his entire teaching. Mm. If that's what this whole thing is about, if it's about becoming the kind of people who receive and then give love, and love defined as agape by Jesus, not defined as, you know, secular culture would define it as desire or tolerance or whatever, but as defined by self-giving for the good of another, then I was not becoming more loving year over year. If anything, I was becoming more agitated, more angry, less present, more on edge, more exhausted, more less my best self. And so there was just this like real like moment of existential Christ right around when I hit 30. And by that point, you're old enough. You know, when you're younger, you have this feeling of like, 
like plasticity. You're like, <laughs> who will I become? I could become anybody, yeah. you know? Yep. Yep. And then you get older and that feeling goes away and you're like, oh, dang, this is who I became. Uh, <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> you know? Sure, yeah. Sure. Which is, you know, the saying, you can't teach old dog new tricks. Old people say that. Young people never say that. You never hear a 21-year-old being like, can't teach an old dog new tricks. They're like, I can do anything I want. I can become anything I want. Let me yeah. define my own whatever. Right. You don't hear a 50-year-old saying that or a 60-year-old or no. 70-year-old. They're far wiser to the nature that human nature is plastic, but it mm. becomes less so year over year. year, over year. Yeah. And so how you live in particular when you're in the first half of life, it really sets the soul on a trajectory for, for who you become. So that's a little bit what brought me to this like kind of quarter life crisis. And then I got to ask you a question. Yeah. In the yeah, book, yes. it says you were doing six sermons a Sunday. Yeah. So... We travel around, we meet people, we go to other churches, things mm -hmm. like that. And whenever we get to a church where it's like we've got two on Saturday and four on Sunday or something, you know, along those lines, yep. I'm a speaker. Like I've been doing this for years. How is that physically possible? Like I can't imagine going up and down like that six times in one day every week, every week, like one weekend, I could probably pull it off. I mean, I'd be dead afterwards, but yes, week after week after week, week. Yep. what's that like? Yeah, it killed me. I mean, we did two on Saturday night, and these were at two different locations, three on Sunday morning and one on Sunday night. So they weren't even like put all together. It was basically a two-day experience wow. every weekend. I remember when we first went to six gatherings, I called up this mega church pastor that I knew down in California who was doing six. And I'm like, all right, dude, how do you do it? Yeah. And he was this like uber jock, like super type A, 0% body fat kind of, you know, athlete kind of guy. And he's like, oh man, it's no problem. It's just like running a marathon every single week. You'll be fine. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it was a short phone call. And so like I got into long distance running and that actually really helped. I began just, you know, running like 10 miles at least every oh Saturday morning and it actually helped a ton. It gave me like a psychological framework for a weekend. But that dude went on and like a year or two later had a, it came out, he's having a string of affairs and he left the church and is like totally out. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that does You're not, like, wait that a does minute. Not, that does not well for my future no. you know? oh. right you're like you oh. weren't telling me sign. the whole story right yeah May That's maybe a... this is not a time-tested way to be yeah. a pastor wow so what are you seeing that is the driving force behind that i know culture and things like that but you wrote the book on it so i'm just wondering why do we have this leniency or this acceptance for those kind of behaviors of being just sure. exhausted. It's yeah. like, how you doing? Oh, I'm busy. And someone says, oh, good. They're busy. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Too busy. And it's better like, busy it's than broke. A, That's it's become a I used to say that all the time. Important. Better busy than broke. Yeah, which is the opposite of what Proverbs says. Better is a dry crust of bread with peace and quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. Mm. And I remember I came to that <laughs> proverb over and over. It's, it's better to be poor and calm than rich and over busy. Yes. That's basically what it's saying. That is so countercultural. Yes. It really 100%. is. Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting. You've, we've got that. I think there's these cultural divides that we have. You know, you've got the Spartan racers, the CrossFitters, that kind of thing. You've mm. got the grind, the hustle. I'm a big fan of Gary Vee. It's very interesting to hear him say, I don't want to hear from a bunch of you in 10 years like, I did what you said, but I lost my family. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. And yet, that workaholism 
it's very accepted. It's like, oh, well, that's a good dad. He's it's ex- to- not only accepted, it's lauded. Right. Yes. Right, right. You know, I, I always like to say that in the church, the the only one of the Ten Commandments that we literally brag from stage about breaking is the Sabbath. Yep. Mm. You know, like nobody stands up and be, is like, I had nine affairs this week. Yeah, Correct. just, you know, really busy, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or I, I murdered two people, but yet we'll be like, I haven't had a day off in 14 days. I just did 300 emails last night. I've yeah. been getting up at 4.30 every morning to stay on top of the game. And basically what we're expecting is like a, a little clap. applause. Yep. Well done. Yeah, uh, you're way tougher than I. You're more important than I. You're busier than I. Mm. And it's this like bizarre, stupid primate kind of like – who's better than who, you know, thing. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the question that you guys are asking is the right question in that John Ortberg, who's done great work on this, I did lunch with him two days ago, actually. Mm-hmm. He's a hero of mine. He has this great little line that busyness isn't just a sign of a disordered schedule, it's a sign of a disordered heart. Mm. And I think what he's saying there is that underneath the busyness, the hurry, the overcommitment, the life of speed is often more than just, oh, I have three kids and I live in a city. Yep. There's actually something much deeper at the like motivational level below it. And it could be yeah. any number of things. Yeah, I think for sure. For most people like me, it's just full-on ego. It's just egoic operating system, ambition, drive, desire. For other people, it's a different form of ego that we call insecurity, a fear. If I'm not accomplishing, if I'm not producing, if I'm not succeeding, who am I? For other people, it's a way to run from their pain, you know? And so if the marriage is unfulfilling, well, let's run either to kids or to work. You know what I mean? In a way, it's a self-soothing. It's like... Any other addiction, it's sugar, it's weed, it's alcohol, it's prescriptions, you know, whatever it is, it's self-soothing from another. It's why, wow, that's so, it's so. And all the addiction experts say, yes, there's a neurobiological thing that happens in your brain. Yeah. And my understanding Mm. of the neuroscience is that obviously there's degrees of potency, but the difference between an addiction to heroin and addiction to your iPhone or addiction to another hour at the office, at a neurological level, we're just talking about degrees. Yes. It's it's similar dopamine addiction. Yeah. But all the addiction experts I've ever read, and again, this is outside of my field of inquiry, but all the clinical psychologists I've read on this all say that addiction, nine times out of 10, is about a deeper wound. Of course. It's an attempt to run from, and it could be anything. It could be an unhappy marriage. It could be my father never said I love me. It could be my life is a disappointment. It could be anything. It's an attempt to escape from reality. M. Scott Peck, psychologist I love, defined mental health as dedication to reality at all costs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Jung defined psychosis or neurosis as an inability to face reality. So I think whether your addiction of choice is Netflix and Instagram or work or heroin or church, I think at some point it's likely rooted in an attempt to escape from the pain of your life as it actually is before God. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We deal with addiction on Rebel all the time because it's it's everywhere. You know, it's one of those things that's everywhere and the more you start talking about it, the more people that struggle with addiction come to you. And right. it's that self-soothing. It's why you said it's a heart issue. It's so profound mm. that we're talking about busy and hurry and, you know, that stressed out, overworked, you know, workaholism. It is yeah. self-soothing from what are you running from? You know, and it might be, I'm afraid we're not going to pay our bills and I've got all this anxiety. And so I'm just going to keep working until it works out, you know, but There is something deeper going on. So because we believe that, what are the basic first steps? Like someone's like, you know what? I am. 
Or how do you know? Maybe someone's saying, I don't know. Maybe, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here going, no, I'm not hurry. I've really weeded out a lot of my stuff. But then when I looked at your sickness for hurry or hurry sickness <laughs> evaluation, yeah. I was like, well, I do that sometimes. Right. I do that sometimes. Right. So how would in, someone even identify like, Am I in that? Yeah, am, am I, I sick? It? Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hurry sickness. You're. I mean, that's a, that's not me. That's like an actual medical term now from oh. that famous cardiologist. I forgot his name. And it was coined by the cardiologist. Wow. Who, and this is old now. It's in the 50s. Who was the first doctor to connect the dots between chronic heart disease and type A overstressed oh. people and people in demanding careers. He was mm. the first one who said, "Oh, heart disease is linked to stress." Right. Which now is like, "Oh yeah, we know that." Yeah. But he was the first doctor. He's the one that coined it. He called it hurry sickness. And he said, what happens when people get sucked into this life of hurry, speed, overcommitment, not enough rest, not enough sleep. I mean, just think about the sleep factor. Yes. Yep. I did some research on this prior to Edison and the light bulb, which really <laughs> We watched a documentary on him yesterday. <laughs> oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you would know that the studies I've read said prior to the light bulb, the average American slept 11 hours a night. Now the My wife's like, like, yeah, <laughs> seven. I mean, so just think what is happening to the human condition when we're sleeping three hours less as a whole on average as an entire country? Wow. What is that doing to our anger, oh, to our sure. ability to be present, yep. to yeah. our yep. busyness, to our materialism? You know, like good grief, mm. simple things. So, And exhaustion yeah, I think- makes all your rough edges rougher. It makes yeah. all your sharp edges sharper. You know, you get you we're lose a little. All at our worst when we're tired. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yep, and that's why I think that's why rest is a spiritual discipline, and it's mm. why in a biblical theology of rest, it's a form of, you know, the biblical writers don't use this language; it's modern evangelical language, but it's a form of spiritual warfare, because if you think yep. about it, it's very mm. hard to tempt well-rested happy, unhurried people. Yes, it sure is. Those kind of people, it's hard to tempt them and it's hard to get them to be their worst self. It's very easy to tempt exhausted, non-present, stressed out people who aren't happy. For sure. Those kind of people, they're easy prey, whether it's like to tempt them for a classic sin or just to tempt them to be a jerk to their kid or whoever. Right. So that's why I think that rest and real deep soul level rest and actually happiness and i've really come full circle on this are actually vital to the spiritual journey because they are how we become people of love Mm -hmm. Um, chronically stressed exhausted unhappy people are rarely people of love well yeah and that leaves the door way more open to self-soothe or addiction to exactly. check out on Facebook or check out, you know, on yep. drugs Well, you're an organ too, right? So we were the first state to legalize weed. I mean, maybe Thank you're you not, but <laughs> we were shocked at how much feedback we started getting. You know, it used to be like the joke where mommy was putting wine in the sippy cup in the afternoon. Well, we don't see that much of that anymore. What we do see is edibles. You know, yeah. it's the, I feel bad, I'm stressed out, and this calms me down, and then I just check out for a while, and now I don't know how to not check out every day. You know, what do I do? I'm so stressed, I'm so busy, I'm so, you know. Yep. Then the, you get that shame cycle with it. I'm so stressed, I'm so busy, I'm so angry, and now I feel guilty about it. Yeah. I'm just going to numb out. It's and like so a it's double-edged right. sword. Yeah. Oh. So yeah. And how I, do I do start? How do we start, you know, I easily could fly into workaholism. 
Right. Easily. I mean, I'm super type A, super driven. When in doubt, work harder. You know, that's definitely my, and then I get stressed if I can't think of work to do when I'm stressed. You know, I've got this anxiety. I feel like I need to do something. I can't think of more things to do. It makes me more stressed, right? Yeah. So where are those early building blocks of slowing down and getting out of that cycle? Yeah. And again, I think there's no silver bullet to that. Okay. And it's different for each person. You know, obviously, if you have somebody who's in like crazy high powered career kind of thing Mm -hmm. that is going to be a little bit more tricky than, you know, a lot of people are over busy, but when you actually look at how they spend their time, they have plenty of time to live a slow, unhurried life. I mean, the average, the average American is on Facebook products for two hours a day and watches four and a half hours of TV a day. Really? This is average. Oh, for sure. The average millennial is on their phone five and a half hours a day. Yeah. Five and, and a half it hours? almost 5,000 times a day. So when people are like, oh, I just don't have time for, you know, Sabbath or whatever, I'm like, well, have you ever done a time audit? Have you ever, like, used the little Apple device and done how much time do you spend on what? Have yep. you ever, like, yep. counted up how you spend your time? If people mm. were just, like, throw away their Instagram account and get rid of TV for a while, all of a sudden they would have basically the equivalent of a part-time job freed up in their life. Yeah. More, you know? Yeah. So I think that, if that's your scenario, it's a little bit easier just to be like, all right, I'm not going to watch TV or I'm going to watch, you know, limit myself to one hour a night or whatever, or I'm going to limit my time on my phone. There's some really, I say easy. The problem is you, you have to look at it. There's two things. So there's the practical thing, and I'm happy to talk about. I have four practices in the book that I recommend from yep. the way of Jesus that have been the most helpful for me, and it's mm-hmm. silence and solitude, Sabbath simplicity and slowing. So those are the four practices. There's more, but those are the ones that I like write about and talk about and emphasize the most in my own practice and for others. Hit those again. What was the first one? Silence. Uh, So there's four. One is silence and solitude. And I kind of, I put those together as many teachers of the way of Jesus do. The second is Sabbath, which for me and for my family has become our anchor discipline outside Mm. of morning prayer. The third is simplicity, which is kind of like the Christian version of minimalism, right? But it has to do with more than just your money and things, but you start there. And then the fourth is slowing, which is basically, we can talk about that, but just ways that you literally intentionally slow yourself down Mm -hmm. in body as well as in mind. And those are the four practices. They're all like acts of resistance, like counteracts to the hurry, workaholism, Mm -hmm. busyness, noise, distraction. They're all like intentional, subversive habits from the life and teachings of Jesus by which we subvert and like and rebel against like the the materialism, the hedonism, the busyness, the insecurity, the distraction, the anger, the outrage of our culture. And we cultivate what the writer Paul called a quiet life Mm. before. I had an embarrassing thing happen a few weeks ago. I had a flat on my truck. So I put the donut tire on it, which means you physically are not supposed to drive over about 55 miles an hour. And I get... I get wigged out in traffic all the time, and I have to remind myself, this is not personal. The guy in front of you isn't trying to make you mad, but you take it personally. Like, I'm such a narcissist. It's like, nope, he sees me. He knows what I'm trying to do. He's trying to slow me down. So I'm on the freeway doing 55. It was like three days with a donut, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm never angry in traffic because I have to drive slow. I have to. If I can't speed that I'm not trying to get someplace faster than I actually can mm. get there. Yeah. It was that purposeful, like I'm in the slow lane, which I'm never in. I'm like, 
It's so weird Never. being in the right lane. Like, why am I over here? This is so crazy. <laughs> and then nobody's so I, nobody's making me mad on purpose. Shocker. Yeah, you're just rocking it. I actually have that in the back of the book. I have in the chapter on slowing, I have 20-something ideas, like little fun, creative ideas. And one of them is that drive the speed limit in the slow lane. Oh, that's yes. terrible. Get over there and rock it. But, I mean, I think we have to be – what you're saying is true. Like, the essence of hurry is not a lot to do. It's too much to do and not enough time to do it. And so the only way to get it all in mm. – and that's where you have to be gracious with yourself. This is the modern world. Yeah, We're yeah. only 12 years into the experiment in human omnipresence that we call the smartphone. Yeah. We have children. There's responsibilities. We're not all, like, rich and sit around and just yacht whenever we want. Yeah. So – you have to be gracious with yourself and you have to distinguish between there's different kinds of busyness or hurry. There's a healthy kind of busyness that just means your life is full and you're giving your life away to things that matter. You're not just playing Call of Duty for hours every night. Yes. By that definition, Jesus, when I read the Gospels, was very busy. But then there is a different kind of busyness, what Ronald Rollheiser calls pathological busyness. Yeah. That is a toxic kind yeah. that's rooted in ego, ambition, workaholism, an attempt to escape from pain, insecurity, tromping on others that leads to anger, irritation, outrage, culture, inhibition to love, inability to hear God's voice and be present to other people in compassion. Mm. And this kind of pathological or toxic busyness, that's the one that's the, really the great enemy, the killer of emotional health mm. and spiritual life that we have to watch out for. And we also have to be gracious with ourselves because as great as these practices are, and as much as we can practice them and get them into our muscle memory, and I think they will massively just give us some massive wins in our growth towards slowing down to be present in love. But we have to also recognize there is a neurobiological addiction that we have. Yep. So just like somebody coming off meth or whatever, you're not going to like feel great on day one. Like, yeah. oh, I'm so happy I didn't do meth. <laughs> you probably feel worse. Yeah, you're going to feel worse for a while. Way worse. You're going to feel more detox. anxious, more angry. Yep. You're going to feel sad. Yep. You're going to detox. That's why when people begin to first start practicing Sabbath, they're like, this is horrible. Yep. And they do it for three weeks and then they quit. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're not even through the withdrawals. It's like yep. it will become the best day of your week, but it will probably first be the worst day of your week. Because yes. you literally, your body is addicted to speed and bring mm. a neurobiologist in to explain that better than I could. But so there's the neurobiological thing. And then there's the psychological thing. Yes. Why is it that, like as we've been talking about, why is it that we overwork, that we don't Sabbath, that we constantly reach for our phone, that there's stuff there, there's pain there we're running from, there's stuff about the re reality of our life that we think we can escape through busyness and hurry or work mm. or whatever it is for entertainment, whatever it is, pick your cultural narcotic of choice, yeah. church, <laughs> yeah, uh, you I know, Bible that. study, I mean, whatever. And these are all not bad things. But, and when we slow down, it forces us to confront reality, which is actually the pathway to peace and joy. Mm. The truth but will set uh, you free. Truth will trust you. Safely. But as mm. David Foster Wallace said, not until it's done with you. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Rebel Parenting. What's up, Rebels? You ever watch a commercial and you think to yourself, what? It can't be that easy. I am so skeptical by nature. I got to tell you, our new sponsor, Policy Genius, is as easy as they say it is. PolicyGenius.com is their website. September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. Most people aren't aware of that. I wasn't aware of it until I read it. And that's why over 40% of Americans don't have life insurance. Right now, prices are the lowest they've been in 20 years, and Policy Genius has made it easier than ever to get covered. Once you apply, Policy Genius actually handles all the paperwork and the red tape. 
I've been through the process. It was super, super easy. My goodness, I wish I had PolicyGenius.com when I quit my last job and was looking for insurance. It is so much easier now. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They can also help you with home, home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance. So if you need insurance but you haven't gotten around to it, National Life Insurance Awareness Month is as good a time as any. And go to policygenius.com, get quotes, apply in minutes. You can do all of it on your phone. And you're on your phone right now, right? Listen to the podcast. You're hearing this. Stop it for a second. Go to policygenius.com. Click on that link. Get your insurance. All right? God bless. Welcome back to Rebel Parenting. Did you miss us? So define Sabbath. You know, as you're doing it with your family, I have a friend, one of my business partners is Jewish and he doesn't have any electronics from sundown Friday to sundown yeah. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a part of any, me, including like a refrigerator or like a, I don't know. We just, like I a light. Know how we, high. there's, there's zero communication for our, uh, fr- our fridge. We just got a new fridge and we were all delighted to find out it has this thing called Sabbath mode, which is apparently a thing where you like, oh. you push these little buttons on like, it's like a little simple, like, you know, pad on the inside. Yeah. It's not like a super fancy one, but it, you can't, you have to look it in the manual. I was reading the manual and you push these three buttons at the same time, hold it for seconds and it clicks over into Sabbath mode. This little red candle comes up, this little icon comes up and all of the lights and fans turn off in the fridge. It's the coolest thing. So I'm like, and I, and I thought it was like unique, like we had the anointed fridge. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. it's on lots of fridges. You just have to read the manual. I'm like Sabbath mode. That's amazing. Wow. So define Sabbath so, for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Sabbath is a 24-hour time period where you stop working, stop worrying to the best of your ability, and stop wanting, and you give yourself over to the four movements of Sabbath. You stop. You rest you delight, and you worship. And it is a practice or a spiritual discipline by which we cultivate a spirit of restfulness that lasts not all day long, but all week long, and out of which we love and live Mm. and work. Mm. This is reminding me of that conversation I had with Graham. Yeah. Graham Cook is our spiritual pastor. He's our mentor. Got it. And... I was asking him, like, how do you do all this stuff? And he's like, oh, I don't... It was something like, I have appointments with God. And essentially what he said, it was like this long way around, but he was like, I schedule my life so that I have lots of time unscheduled so I'm not just running from place to place to place to place. I'm not hurried. I'm not... Then I can just be with God. It's not like, all right, God, I've got 30 minutes. All right, hit me. What have I got? You know, yeah. what do you got for me? He's the one that I actually, I've not met him, but he has a great reputation. He's the one where I got that idea. I think it's his line that rest is a weapon. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it for is. sure. Uh, you <laughs> know, and so I, I think that's time. where I started thinking about that idea of, oh, wow, spiritual disciplines like Sabbath are spiritual warfare. Yes. Well, you said it exactly right. It's so hard to tempt a well-rested, happy person. Yes. But it's so easy to test an exhausted, haggard, harried, stressed out person. Yep. Mm -hmm. And not even just tempt to like, you know, porn or something or whatever example you want to fill in, although that's 110% true, but just 
to inhibit our capacity to love. Yes. Like yeah. I have found, and this is so counterintuitive, that 80% of loving well is just keeping myself healthy and happy. Yes. Oh, for sure. You know, I can do all the spiritual disciplines. I can get up at five in the morning and pray for a couple of hours and memorize scripture and do all the stuff and confess my sin to my accountability partner. And then I'll like come out of my office and in two seconds will be like yelling at my kid because they spilled milk on the floor or mm-hmm. whatever, you know. But when I am just rested and I have margin and I'm peace and I've done, you know, some mm-hmm. things with God to cultivate my joy before him. Milk spills on the floor and I might not be the best dad ever, but I, I can roll with that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's yeah. clean it up. Hey, sorry. All right, cool. All good. You know, it's like I'm just 80% of loving well, I think, is keeping my soul healthy and happy before God. Mm. Well, and I love your example earlier talking about like each year, am I loving well? Am I, am I growing more in the likeness of God? Yep. Or am I becoming more frustrated, more irritable, mad at CNN, mad at, you know, yep. jumping on the bandwagon or whatever? Yep. And so and I was the latter. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think, too, what you shared, I saw it in your book, but I've heard it before that you're living a life you know, we get so reactive and not being proactive in our life. Like, have you seen a huge shift in your life Mm. since you've made the switch, the transformation of just being more proactive? Yeah. I mean, first off, I'm with it with everybody. It's hard. I was interesting. You use that language. I was thinking about that literally this morning in prayer, like, how am I just reacting Mm. to, you know what I mean? Especially like around when you release a book, it's just a really kind of (laughs) insane six-week time period and it's really weird to do that when your book's on hurry (laughs) and slowing down and I'm like wait a minute I'm like you know doing like podcast interview all this wonderful stuff I'm so happy to be with you so happy to be on but like I have work to do today after this I gotta go like my job go away for six weeks you know so it's an interesting kind of inner dialogue thing that happens at least with this one because of the topic of the book and because of where I'm at in my own journey with Jesus. So yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, man. And in what ways am I living reactively, not proactively? Mm -hmm. And I think in particular, like maybe I sound more and more Luddite as I age, but with the technological piece, you have to remember these devices were literally designed with the intention of distraction and addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they're designed to get you to live reactively Mm. and the way that journalism has changed and you know I I don't mean this in some like you know Trumpian anti mainstream media (laughs) or whatever but we have to remember that the press is we talk about freedom of the press and what we mean is it's free from government control but in all honesty and I'm not an anti-capitalist but it's not free from capitalism yes right and because it's business yes because of that and the reality is bad news sells yes Yes. and in particular if it includes contempt anxiety fear fear, and anger that's the way you make money and so there are people that have a vested interest in keeping us angry anxious distracted and addicted to our phones Mm -hmm. and it's destroying our society Mm. and that's not to say there's not a legitimate place for anger and all that kind of stuff but man i so i think that what you're saying is 100% right. We have to be ruthless. That's why I put that in the title, which is not my original language. But this is not like dink around with it. We have to literally be ruthless if we're going to live a proactive life. Huh. Don't dance around the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's true. It's that thing. You know, I liken it. This Sunday, I'll have been six weeks without sugar or grain. Um, wow. It's terrible. And you're not yelling at me and frothing at the mouth in, in anger. That's amazing. Maybe yeah. on the first week. I'm sure you were the first week. (laughs) But you talk about that ruthless elimination of 
hurry. I was going to say busy of hurry. I needed that. Like I didn't want it. You know, I didn't want to give up sugar. And here's the truth. Mm. And I told my coach this, you know, I go to a gym when I feel bad. If I eat a bunch of candy, I feel better. Like I know that about myself. <laughs> I struggle with the addiction side of my personality. When I yeah. feel bad, if I drink a Dr. Pepper, I will feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's not helping me in the long run. I've got tons of inflammation and it'll cause a heart attack over time. And I know all those things. And yet it makes me feel better and that's what I want. And it's so interesting when I get most stressed. Laura knows this. We were I forget what we were doing. I don't know if it was a family thing. Something was going on that just really like, it got me so stressed out. And it was all my self-control to not dive into sugar because I just wanted to feel better right now. Mm. Yeah, just give me an instant little quick happiness hit so I can just get through the uh, day. Calm down and be happy and get through. But as you exactly as you said, it compounds and it actually makes a bad problem worse. It does. Mm. So talk about silence and solitude. You know, It's that is so foreign for average Americans. Like my son and I, a year or two ago, went to Canada on a fishing trip. We flew on a float plane in the middle of nowhere, landed on an island. Wow. And How old's your son? He just turned 13. Oh, wow. What a fun age oh, for that. The greatest. Yeah. It was shocking hmm. how quiet it was out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just dead silent. I mean, there's like, you yeah. know, nature noises. But it was so quiet. It was almost unnerving for a while. Like, And it's not like you're coming from Manhattan. You're no. coming from Colorado. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, still. And what did that do to your soul? Like, what was that like for oh, you man. and your relationship? First couple days, it was hard. It really was. First couple days, yeah. it was hard to sleep. I turned white noise on. I need to hear something <sighs> to go to sleep. The long- really? Wait, so you're up out in the middle of nowhere and you have to turn on white noise oh, yeah. to sleep. I can't sleep in silence. Oh my Not for sure. Gosh. White noise every night, no matter where wow. I go. Wow. Towards the end of it though, there's an a crazy relaxing, like you're so used to being like, well, we got a couple hours and we have to be somewhere. Right. And out yeah. there, we don't have to be anywhere. Like we got to find where everybody's having lunch. But aside from that... We don't have to be anywhere. We just go around in a boat, catch fish. You know, Lincoln got tired. He was like, I'm tired. My shoulder hurts from catching too many fish. Like, you know, <laughs> he's like, can I just lay down? Yeah. Fell asleep in the boat. Like we just hung oh, out. Man. Yeah. yeah. So how do we find silence and I'm solitude? I have, I have no interest in fishing, but I want to go to Alaska and fish just to have that experience. Oh, you've got, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We've done that too. It really is a life changing experience. So how do you find solitude and silence in this busy world when you've got noise everywhere? Like mm-hmm. I, every year or two, I buy a package of isolation tank float sessions because it's wow. it's one of the only places where you can have complete silence, complete solitude. But that's not available for everyone. Not everyone can do that either. So how do we find that in just our regular everyday life? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to make it. You have to get creative. You have to make it, and it'll be harder for some people than others. You know, if you're upper middle class and don't have kids, it'll be pretty easy. (laughs) If you don't have a lot of money and you have a lot of kids, it will be much harder. But harder doesn't mean impossible, you know? So I think uh, start with your phone. That's the first place, you know? Start with your sleep routines. So for most of us, that means 
less or no TV at night or whatever and going to bed earlier so that we can get up early when the day is still quiet. It's shocking. Like you get up early Um, and your phone's nowhere present. It's amazing how quiet it is. Yeah. Or Sunday mornings, get up, you know, don't stay up till two in the morning, Saturday night partying like it's 1999, but like (laughs) get a good night's rest, get up early before your kids are, you know, like it's amazing how much quiet there is. Find resources like, you know, most cities, I don't know about Colorado, but Portland has a couple beautiful monasteries. There's one I go to that is gorgeous. Mm. And I think they recommend, it's like a suggested donation of 35 bucks a night gorgeous and if you don't have the money they'll let you stay there for free and they'll feed you for free so like you know and it's a 50 minute drive you can get out and it's absolutely dead quiet beautiful nobody to bother you literally can have a monk cell Mm. and just pray and rest so you know saturdays like what we did when our kids were little because you know often young families are like we can't sabbath we can't do this we have kids. I'm like, well, let's just got to get creative. We broke our Sabbath into thirds. So a third of it, we were all together as a family, like eating breakfast, walking down to get donuts, going to the park. A third of it, we'd give roughly a third of the waking hours we'd give to each other. So I would watch the kids and my lovely wife would have time Mm. to go pray, go be alone, Mm. go read, go see your best friend for coffee, ride her bike, you know, down for a tea or whatever. And I would have, you know, four-ish hours, three-ish hours or whatever. And she would watch the kids and I could read and journal and pray and think or nap or whatever, you know, it is based on your personality. And that worked great for us. Would it be better just to have a whole day? We don't have to schedule that out and we can just relax. And our children are just like Zen Buddhist monks and they're like, good morning, father. (laughs) You know, yeah, that'd be great. But that's not real life. Nope. That's a fantasy world. Yeah. You wake you know? up and they've got the singing bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Good morning. Would you like? Here's your Chemex coffee. So, yeah. yeah. So I think you make it and you get creative and you recognize that there are legitimate excuses, but most excuses are just excuses. Yeah. And I don't mean that in like a mean, condescending. No, no, it's still true. I don't mean. Yeah. I don't mean that at all. I just my experience as a pastor. I have so many people, in particular young families, tend to find like rhythms of rest, renewal, silence to be the most difficult just because of stage of life. And although I get it from literally from every stage of life, oh, from I'm empty sure. nesters, from single people, from students, everybody tells me, oh, I can't do that because of my stage. And I'm like, well, then nobody can do it except for professional monks, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But when I actually graciously begin to probe and ask questions, I find that most people, again, are on their phone constantly. They're involved in entertainment. They're doing, especially, you know, middle class and up people are doing way more activities than they need to do. Mm-hmm. Who said your kid needs to play four sports? Who said mm-hmm. they need to be in this and that and the other? You know, and I get there's massively different socioeconomic realities based on how much money you make and your family of origin. Are you single parent? I get all of that. And so tons of grace. I'm just saying most of the people I talk to or say they're too busy are just too busy with things that could easily be rearranged to make a little space for God. Mm. And I just think, you know, we make space for the relationships that matter to us. And, you know, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. You can't have a healthy marriage or a healthy family if you don't get a little bit ruthless and carve out time for family dinners, for the old adage, you know, for marriage is 15 minutes a day, one night a week, you know, at least some kind of a getaway or extended time once a quarter. That's like just the kind of, that's the old adage. And when people say, well, I'm too busy to do that. Like you're too busy to talk to your spouse for 15 minutes a day or and have one meal together a week or whatever, you know, yeah, a couple hour, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, non-distracted conversation. Yeah, we're too busy. I normally just like try to help people realize, well, then either you need to change your life. Yeah. If that's actually true, if you actually can't take 15 minutes a day, then you're or you're too busy. You need to change it or you just don't have enough time to be married. Yeah. 
And yeah. that's you know, like the hard, brutal truth. Yeah. And, you know, like, well, then you just don't have enough time to have an intimate relationship. Mm. And again, zero judgment or condensation here at all. But I think if we apply that rubric to our relationship with God mm-hmm. and mm. our rhythms of rest, which are so key to our following of God and becoming people of love, I think most of us, when we say we're too busy, we're not actually too busy. Right. We're too distracted. Yeah. Well, and, I just heard this statement know, too. When you say I'm too busy, just add for that at the end of the statement. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good word. I'm just too busy. Oh, for that. Not for yes. everything else in your life, but you're yeah. just too busy for that. I'm too busy for my sex life. I'm too busy to talk to my wife. I'm too busy I'm too to busy go to counseling. Right. I'm, too, I'm, too, yeah, yeah. I'm too busy to live in reality. Yes. And that begins to show you, and that's not all bad. There's some things that I would love to do that I'm just too busy for. Yeah. But it shows you what your priorities. hierarchy yes. priorities are. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. The hierarchy and priorities. You know what? We make time for the things that most matter to us. So really it's a question. How much does it matter for me to be in relationship and aware of God and becoming a person of love? Yes. Where does that fall in my priority hierarchy? Yeah. Yep. I got to be honest. I'm super, super challenged by this. Yeah, this is great. I am for sure making some changes for weekends, like mm-hmm. in night times. I, I realized. But it's good news. Like, I probably sound more negative than I mean. No, no really not at all. all. Not really at all. Rest. Turn off your phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rest. Let Facebook run your life. Yep. Calm. Become present. Mm-hmm. Face the pain of your life. Meet God on it. And then get free of it yep. and find a way to live a joyful, grateful, rich life where you give and receive love with the relationships that most matter to you, mm-hmm. starting with God and then spreading to your most intimate friendships. Yeah. Like, that's good news. That's, <laughs> that that is good news. Yeah. But to do that, the hard part is to do that, you have to get ruthless. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Well, I realized if I will put my phone away and read my Kindle for about 30 minutes before I go to bed, I fall asleep faster and I sleep better. Yep. Yep. And 100%. That sounds so silly. Like, well, of course you do. I know, but I rarely do it. Yeah. It's not like wow. I don't have 30 minutes before bed. Everyone goes to sleep early. So in my house, like I have the time. Last night I sat on the couch, both dogs could not be on my lap. I'm not sure why. Like they literally kept climbing on me. I'm like, I'm holding it higher and higher. And it was great. I fell asleep easier. I didn't have as much stress. You know, I'm going through a time of stress and anxiety right now, and I need to find ways, yes. other ulterior ways to calm that down. Mm-hmm. And this for sure. And the funny thing is, like, when you look at Jesus, like, a key text for me is in Luke 5, where there's that great line about, you know, how many people were coming to see him and the crowds were increasing. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And then there's the line, but Jesus often withdrew to solitary places and prayed. Yes. And it's like you get this impression reading Luke's gospel in particular, but I think all four, that the more busy and in demand and under pressure that Jesus became, the more he would slip away yeah. to rest and pray. Mm. And, you know, we, we do the opposite. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I can't really rest all yeah. right now. I can't read before bed at night right now. Sure. I can't, you know, whatever your thing is, go for a run with the dogs or hang out with my kids and make pancakes or whatever your thing is. I'm just in a really busy season. I think Jesus would be like, well, that's why it's more important right yeah. now than mm-hmm. ever. It's Amen. funny you talked about him getting into a boat and going to pray. My wife bought me a canoe for my birthday. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> it was super quiet on the lake in the canoe. Mm-hmm. Like it was really. Wow. There's no no one's blasting music out on the lake where you can't take power boats. It's yeah. just canoes and kayaks, and you know you get away yeah. from everything. Oh my goodness. I appreciate this. I really like it. Yeah. No, thanks for your time. What a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Definitely. You know, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I appreciate the title. 
because this is not dancing around a problem or an issue. It's the ruthless elimination of hurry. It really is one of those, we're going to take a microscope, we're going to look at the aspects of our life, be totally brutally honest with mm-hmm. ourselves, not in a shame or guilt-laden way, but going to be totally honest and then say, you know what, I'm going to be very honest and now I'm going to make a change. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love it. Well said. Well, thank you. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Mm. No, it's a joy. Keep up the great work you guys are doing. Tons of love to you. And may you survive winter. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, John. Thanks. (laughs) All right. Love to you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening, Rebels. Thanks to John Mark Comer for coming on the podcast, helping us be a little calmer in this season, in this Thanksgiving season, letting us focus on gratefulness rather than all the things that are making us busy and making us stressed out. Thanks to the Voice of the Martyrs for sponsoring our podcast. And thank you to you for donating at rebelparenting.org and clicking the donate tab. We appreciate all of that. It's tax deductible. Thank you so much. God bless Rebels. We'll see you soon. Rebel Parenting is produced by Rebel Media House. And when you need a little help with your marriage or parenting, and everyone does, you can find it at rebelparenting.org. Sign up for the Rebel Update by texting the word REBEL to 444-999. That's R-E-B-E-L, and the number is 444-999. We love it when you share Rebel Parenting with your friends and family, so thank you. God bless. Thanks for spending your time with us, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Rebel Parenting.